Good morning again, everyone. This is Chris Joslin, your host for another edition of Jaws Bites, coming to you as a part of a growing community on ilovelogistics.com, where you can see this video, see some compiled and aggregated and curated information to help you grow your career in the supply chain transportation industry, or even if you're outside the industry, to get the headlines of today, see how they apply to you, both inside and outside of a growing, very focused community. Today I had the distinct pleasure of having a chance to communicate and have a nice lengthy chat with a gentleman that has been in our industry at a whole bunch of different levels uh, for many, many years. His name is Dennis Organ. He is the former COO and uh, eventually CEO of Smithfield Foods and currently he's on the board of a technologically focused company by Century and has been a part of the transportation supply chain industry for many, many years and has a distinct view, especially, especially on the ag and foodstuff side of our industry and how it applies to everything, as he says, from farm to fork. So once again, without any further ado, Mr. Dennis Organ. Geez, uh, welcome! Thank you for taking you know a few minutes at least today to to have a chat. I, you know, uh, we we know each other but not well, right? And um, we both have. Oh, I hate to say it, Dennis, but we have long histories in this transportation logistics and yeah. actually a bigger umbrella business these days. And and uh, I just appreciate you coming aboard sure. for a few minutes and sharing your thoughts on kind of where things have been and where things are going with, with you and also with the industry in general. So I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like you said, it's in my world, you are the old cool cousin. Huh? You, you and Mark were the, you guys probably were the oldest cousins in our squad, I think. You know, I, I think you're right. I, I never wanted that moniker, by the way, the oldest cousin. But it's, well, it was old and cool when we were young. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now it's just old. Exactly. <laughs> hey, it's a long ways that we've come from uh, Battle Creek, Michigan, and yeah. Waddles, and and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But but it, there's some fond fond memories and oh, all yeah. that too, you know. Yeah. But it's it's you know I've been actually away from Michigan way longer than I was there. I don't know if that's the same for you now. You said I think um, you said no, about 15 no, no, years no, or so. Yeah, I'm 15 out of 49, so I'm still more, and I'm heading back, so I, I'm more. Of yeah. A, just a, yeah, but, a but, with, state. but with all your travel, I bet you've been away longer. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. I certainly have a better, even worldly perspective, but certainly in the U.S. But I remember sometimes you hear songs growing up in, in the cities when they talk about the city. It doesn't necessarily flash a memory or a familiarity. And, and I can't remember what song I heard, um, but I was like, I've been there, sort of been to most of the cities in the U.S. now. Most of the big ones, right? Yeah, yeah. For sure. 
Yeah, it's it's funny. And growing up in a small town, you often don't think that's going to be your your lot in life. But you know, circumstantially, you get you get a certain degree of education and go down a certain road. I think you mentioned you had a general business degree, but it, it sounded like you kind of went in reverse, started and stopped in the educational side. No, oh, you, you just mean, kept going. You you so went back and got a degree? master's. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. I went sort of. Ended into a grocery into the grocery store chain, um, and in a what they called management trainee program. Uh, and when I landed there, is when I knew I I needed to finish my degree and get more education and uh, and and do that. And so, you know, this is the '90s I'm talking about. So this I graduated high school in '92. Oh <laughs> man! So yeah, um, I am the older cousin. Yeah. <laughs> so, but. There's still, I mean, I think there was importance on further education. I, I, nothing like what came, you know, for our, for our kids. My kids, for sure, I remember just a lot of pressure to go to college. And, mm-hmm. and, and I don't, I went all the way through high school. and I don't remember a single person ever asking me, even at family gatherings, ever asking me what college are you going to go to, what are you going to study. And, and nowadays, I sort of joke at family events, I say to my nieces or nephews, I promise I won't ask you what you're going to do in the future because I just listen to them just get the same question over and over. And so there was definitely less um, you know, I, on that. I think there was, there was more for you and I, and there's not for the audience out there who's ever listening. There's, I know I look much, much older, but it's not a huge, huge difference. But, but back in our day, it was like, yeah, the education was important and everything, but the most important thing was get out there and start a career path. Yeah. And a lot of times, if you were kind of undecided, in that career path kind of, the circumstances helped push you along in that. And you started out in the grocery industry. I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but I did too. Of course, oh, mine was on the other end of a bag, a plastic or a paper bag. But, you know, I, I had a, an opportunity uh, with uh, Spartan stores. Uh, for my youth. And I could have gone back to that. I had a really good friend that took that line quite a distance up in the management seat. But uh, as a lot of people do in Who that field. It? I worked at uh, Scott. Scott DeMont was his name. I don't know if I, you I, remember that name or not. He's, uh, he's back in Buffalo now. He has his own little gig with his partner. And, and uh, he, great guy, great guy. But he, now this was, this was, before you graduated high school. So, you know, so who knows exactly where that, yeah. that went, but, but Spartan stores was great. I loved it. it, it oh, yeah. uh, and of course you were affiliated with the AFL CIO at the time. I assume you were as well. And so there was, there was a huge opportunity to, to work weekends and work holidays and make a ton oh, of money yeah. when if, at that kind of age. But I noticed a lot of the people I dealt with ended up going either into specific type uh, or division of that industry, you know, the deli side, the, the yeah. produce side, or they got affiliated with a vendor and started yeah. branching out that way. Right. I'm kind of guessing that that might've been something you, you know, looked at. It, you're right. So people from the grocery store would go, your vendor would hire them to be a merchandiser or something like mm-hmm. that. Sales rep or, what happened for me was I left, so I worked for a Spartan store chain called Felposh. So we were 
about 20 stores headquartered out of um, out of uh, Hastings, and um, you know, it's a good family-run company. And I was in the in a really a, a, a perishable management trainee program, which meant I did every job nobody wanted to do, from midnight frying donuts, and um, I had real serious secondhand smoke addiction because uh, everybody smoked back then, and you take a break <laughs> and they sit out behind grocery stores, and, but. I got the chance to learn a lot, you know, so perishable departments, like you said, I was bagging groceries and checking and doing inventory on weekends and all that kind of good stuff. So it was a, a really good foundation. I didn't appreciate it at the time, but to move through, um, you know, my later career to always be able to reflect on the gro how it would be delivered to a grocery store, or how the product would be merchandised in a grocery store, just how you know how it's going to be handled and sort of the path to market, the final step on the path to market to the consumer really helped me a lot uh, in yeah. terms of reflection. So, um, but I left and went to work for Nash Finch. So Spartan and Nash weren't um, together. They, you know, they've since merged. But I went to work at Nash Finch in a bakery deli job to sell bakery and start a bakery deli program and steal. Spartan business and so just cruised around Michigan in the car with order guides and you know learned an awful lot about uh, procurement and vendor setup and merchandising at stores and all that kind of stuff you know it's funny the while you're while you're talking about this I was thinking you know I know an, an awful lot of people in the transportation logistics industry and most of the ones that seem to have I don't know the uh the deepest roots in it are the ones that have gone through a process like you've gone through. Right. In other words, there's some operational aspects they've done. Right. They've done the, the unloading trucks to yeah. Yeah. stocking shelves to yeah. the sales in the course, of the sales pieces. I, you know, it, it, it's hugely important to understand how to connect what you're doing right. with who wants your stuff. Right. Right. And, and then I know a couple of people that kind of were born into it, you know, second, third generation kind yeah. of stuff. And it's funny because the first generation kind of forced that next generation to do exactly what you're talking about. Right. Because I think those that jump over it and just go straight into a management or a C-suite kind of scenario, they're destined to uh, not fail necessarily, but they're destined to to miss a lot of the important elements of what we do. You, you certainly do. There's definitely the nuance of how things work, but we... I've spent a lot of time talking to, you know, from interns to people fresh out of college and, and I've always sort of, um, encouraged them to get sort of wide in their career. If, if you think you want to be in transportation then go do anything but transportation for a while. And, and we had some programs that, you know, those sort of rotational, uh, onboarding programs where you work six months in the different departments. But yeah, later on, what it, it seems like, by the time you get to director and VP level, if you don't have experience, your perspective um, falls a little flat. And when you get to the point in the organization where you have to start working and managing cross-functionally, you just are sort of outgunned. And yeah. nobody wants to hear that. It is hard. to, And I appreciate that. But it's hard to tell somebody 25 to 35 years old that you probably need to move laterally a little bit before you move up. You know, it's interesting because back 
back when I was starting my career in transportation, there were very few, like maybe two or three universities that had even a right. logistics degree or even right. a semblance of one. It was all general business degrees, et cetera, which is fine. Nowadays, they're in every every university yeah. you can you know shake a stick at. And, and I think that's great. I've got a good friend of mine that does some teaching at Cal State Fullerton for yeah. that very thing. And I think it's, it's real promising, to, especially with all the technologies out to have, yeah. have these young, these young kids look at these analytics and understand the book level of how to evaluate, you know, TMS right. systems and things like that. Right. But they all expect to go straight from university right. into these positions and they're taking a step over the blocking and tackling side of our industry. Right. And right. I, you know, I think it's real interesting, you know, looking at your background a little bit and you've moved up that chain all the way to the very top of it, which is right. awesome. And congratulated for that, especially the way you started. But it's very rare that I've seen large companies pull their C-suite from the logistics side, at least right. up until the last few years, handful of years. And I think that's, that's a real important element of things because everything's logistics these days. Yeah. Everything's supply chain. Right. It's, it is surprising to me. And, and even, you know, in all my travels today, whether I'm talking to uh, private equity groups that typically like to focus on financial deals, meaning um, a deal where the pieces are greater than the sum, they can see a sort of a failed acquisition and spin it back off. Or they really don't, they're afraid of operational excellence initiatives where you, you know, could pitch a 20% reduction in, supply chain costs as a, as a um, sort of catalyst for a deal. But um, in, inside of companies, you're right. It, I remember when I first got my, I first got a job where I was in charge of sort of, um, they, they called it transportation and logistics, SVP of transportation and logistics. And I said, it's the same thing. I go, I mean, and I remember sitting in a room saying, we, you know, why don't we just call it supply chain? This is 2000. 14 and they all laughed at me because I wanted a fancy name, a name I, for and it. I said, I said, you guys might not know this, but all the guys I'm going to talk, all the people I come across when I say I'm something, something transportation, which just is going to laugh at me. So that, that's how far it's changed. How much it's changed. And that's just seven or eight years. And, yeah. and you're right. I think, um, I do think it's changing a little bit, but I, I am, I, I, it's hard to get away from finance, if you, especially so a public company the, the you know, the CEO and CFR are going to spend most of their time thinking about earnings releases and quarterly numbers and chasing the drumbeat there um, and have very, very limited understanding of how the supply chain works. Um, but I do think today they understand there's a more of a balance where they think they used to think sales and marketing was all the magic that made everything happen. I think there's a little catch in the back of their mind that says, Oh yeah, I have to think about a path to market too. Yeah. Uh, or else I'm just going to diss everybody. It disappoint everybody. I, I don't think it's all the way there yet, but I know there's a, Oh, oh man, I got to remember to not, it's like a drain plug in a boat. They're oh, ready yeah. to go and they're cruising, but they always think, Oh, wait a minute. Let me double check that because it could be disastrous. if well, I don't, I, I think you're right on the money here because it's, it, you know, supply chain in general, by the way, it's one of my favorite terms, 
It's yeah. been a long time before because you, you, you had the transportation guys, which kind yeah. of made you feel like it was the dock guy, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. or the, the guy that's sitting out and has a window into the dock and he's, he's making the calls to the, which is still very, I mean, incredibly important in our market today. But when you piece it all together, the whole term supply chain, I mean, what, what better visual is there? Right. You've right. got cradle to graves, things that are going right. on. And in, in from the food industry you're in, you're talking about stuff right from the farm yeah. or, or the feed for yeah. the animals yeah. on the farm, yeah. all the way to the time you got to put something on the table yep. and all the accoutrements that go wrong with that. So there's all these links in the quote unquote supply chain. And I think the, I think it's the perfect way to visualize our industry. And it's also the perfect way to see where the fragile elements of it are yeah because you can definitely when you when you look at it holistically you can see this part of it's you know weak and this part of it's strong and you got to focus on this and that but you brought up an interesting point because i used to work for a, a real large company as well and I, I used to get very frustrated after they went public um that i had these these great long-term ideas to uh, set us up for a five, even a 10 year path to kind of a better product, a better service. And a lot of times those things were overlooked because, you know, they had to talk to, to wall street about right. the, you know, what's coming up in the next quarter. And, right. and to your point about sales and marketing and that, and that's actually where I started in the business. So yeah. I knew what kind of garbage was going into the right. CRMs yeah. and yeah. what kind of garbage was pulled out and everybody yeah. knew, but right. The investors wanted to hear it anyway, right? Exactly. And so there's definitely a balance. And I think the pendulum, partly because of the last two and a half years, frankly, right. and I think the pendulum is swinging. And there's a lot of people giving um, a lot of negative, uh, negative press to supply chain in general, worldwide, because right. of all the disruptions and all the congestion and network imbalances, et cetera. But I don't care if it's bad or good press, as long as the focus right. is on kind of where it needs to be. And I, I, I'm impressed by that. I, I just wish that, that people like you and me that have that kind of background were put in the positions and allowed to do some of the right. things they need to do now. Yeah, I, I don't know that I feel like um, it's inevitably moving more power to us ultimately, though. I think it's a people are aware of it today. It's it's a our five for 10 seconds of fame will move <laughs> when, when some of these uh, emergency issues subside, we'll move back to our back offices and, and obscurity because our numbers aren't dramatically impacting, not measurably uh, dramatically impacting the larger corporation. And I think, I actually think that's what gets the supply chain. I think it's maybe, um, similar to sort of larger cultural issues or maybe even human sort of basic human, uh, maybe nature United States humans is anything long-term, anything not definitively measurable is, is immediately moved to the back burner. And, and you said it, the great thing about the supply chain is it's a, it, the word itself is a visualization of, well, there must be a connected series of events because it's a chain. And so that, that immediately gives you that visualization. Unfortunately, the the salesperson can show up and talk about immediate things and things that flash today. And I have to sit at a table and say, that's great. Uh, those innovative items sound great, but 
they're, you know, costing throughput percent of this. They're, you know, we really are only 95% of our new items fail. Uh, the other 5% costs us more. The, the uh, real gross margins grossly overstated because um, we're using standards and, and warehouses and all that stuff. And so I think that's where I've always taken sort of a social issue view and a supply chain thought. It's very much the same. If, if today people are finally aware that, wow, supply chain, it is sort of, it does sort of matter. Um, but I, like I said, I think that our, they're moving on. <laughs> well, I, I, I will tell you, Dennis, I hope you're wrong about yeah. that little portion of it. Uh, I, I think you're right, but I hope you're wrong right. because, there, you know, and you've been in the C-suite for a long period of time over your career, right. the last 10 plus years, I believe. And uh, the, you know, there are things that come your way. And as you just mentioned a minute ago, finance is always the one that pops out. Ultimately, every, I mean, every, every exchange of a good or a service is all about, you know, gaining some dollar amount or right. some financial benefit for what you're exchanging that for. And how you do that, the efficiency of how you do it is vastly important, but more of a longer term thing. Maybe the more important thing is your carrying costs for the products you have or the supplies right. you need or the warehouse distribution network you have, et cetera. And then if you have new products coming to market, because there's always competition, you have to be aware of what's going to sell and what's not going to. And it's, it gets freaking complicated. Right. And that's great. But the thing that I love is that you've got disparate, but a lot of technologies coming at this industry hard. And it's been long, long overdue. I tell, I tell a story all the time of back in the mid nineties when I was down in San Diego selling to the maquilador industry, the services we had intermodal primarily, you know, there, there, I went into this, this uh, factory one time and I was meeting with the transportation manager down there. It's so funny. I, I told my boss at the time I needed, when I moved down to San Diego, you got to pay for my Spanish lessons because I'm going to be yeah. in Mexico all the time. But, and then I went down there and, and those guys spoke better English than I did. So, yeah. you know, all those guys, yeah. but, but the, they were having a birthday party and I came into this dock and there was a bunch of people around. There was a cake and they were having a birthday party. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, whose birthday is it? Is it yours? Transport? Oh no, it's container number, blah, 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 out in the yard. And I went, what? Yeah. There was a FEU sitting out a 40 foot equivalent unit sitting out in the, in the yard buried in a underneath a bunch of others that was having its year birthday there. Wow. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And that hasn't changed. It hasn't changed in a lot of places. The, those, those kind of transportation potholes continue oh, yeah. to be there. And I, you know, the technologies is what I like and the, the, the food industry and I know you're involved in, in with a company now that's got some real interest, to my point of view, some real interesting technology to speed up the supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple things. I think that, um, so first, if you start with it, how vast the ag, it, you know, if you're, if you're talking about connected events in a supply chain, and you know, agriculture and specifically animal agriculture all the way through consumer packaged goods is, is immense. You know, it's definitely global implications. Um, and so the, the difficulty for us has always been, I guess, for me, when I, when I try to get my head around what is, what is the supply chain is 
you know, you can typically, like you said, can end up from a field from from farm to fork is what a lot of we used to say a lot. I love that um, farm to fork. Yeah, you, you, but then you start realizing they're they're actually a lot of disconnects there that make them sort of independent supply chains and 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 really scanning for controllable aspects is is you know it's how you make the universe smaller, right? So it's scanning for things, whether it's uh, tech new technology or or or, um, or just sort of operational excellence and process that you can improve your performance. And mm-hmm. I think the first, the big issue we have in, in that world is they're 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 disconnected. So by that I mean the ag and animal the ag, animal agriculture and then the ag um, industry before it is very much a push system. Meaning, you know, I have to decide sort of today for my, you know, beef, pork, and poultry for next year. I, I have to start thinking about that. much that. in advance? Yeah. I mean, if you think, I mean, a, a cow's a year and a half, a pig, six to eight months, and, you know, chickens are 21 to 28 days, but you need eggs and hatcheries and infrastructure. And so you end up with the only way you can make any sort of um, sort of survival in that side of the world is, to utilize all the capacity you have. So right. most of it is from, you know, farms to hatcheries to, to the um, production facilities. I have to run at cl- or as close to capacity as, as possible. And so that starts a series of events here that says to run this plant, I need this, you know, number of animals, need this animals, this is my crop. You know, sort of the, uh, the the amount of crops and minerals and all kinds of good stuff. Right. And then that starts this push, which really can't change. And that's that's what I think got most of the attention during COVID. I know I was knee deep in it at the beginning. Was I can't tell you how many government officials and folks like that would say, "Well, just stop. You can't can't stop it. It does. It can't be stopped. It's coming, uh, especially um, beef and, and pork." Right. Uh, so, but that is sort of, um, you know, fighting an immovable object, which is the end user, uh, well, maybe the customer, which would be the big um, retailers and, you know, Kroger, Walmart, all those kind of mm-hmm. guys, which are very much on a pull supply chain, which says, right. here's my ad activity for the next. Uh, in six weeks, this is my ad activity. Here's about what I think I need for seasonal items, uh, Christmas hams and, right, and right. all that kind of stuff. And so then in the middle is where where our focus always was. was, okay, I know I have to run this. I know this ha- this is, in order to be even close to financially viable, which most times it actually isn't. This side right. isn't. Uh, and this, these customers, here's sort of a, a high-level demand and some ways we can influence demand through ad activity and stuff. Now, in the middle is where a lot of the supply chain activity for us. Happens. Yeah, it, you know, uh, during the pandemic is, of course, a way to, to kind of evaluate the flexibility and the resiliency right. of any supply chain. Any industry, period, yeah. and and there was nothing that stuck out more than going into a grocery, and right. 
seeing the lack of supply, whether, you know, the first thing that always jumped out at everybody was the big toilet paper. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But the food stuff, it's it's one thing to run out of toilet paper or have to, you know, use a few less uh, squares than, than before. It's another thing entirely when your chicken or your beef or your, your pork or whatever is like you're fighting people for, you know, the last pork chop on the, on the shelf. That's a big deal. And and I, I would imagine from the supply chain industry point of view, it, you know, I've, I've spent all my career focused on and pushing the idea of efficiencies. And when you run up against these kind of issues, that goes right out the window because you've got a baseline you need to accommodate period. You can worry about efficiency after you accommodate that baseline. But in the meantime, your budgets probably went all over the place just to accommodate what you needed to get done. Yeah. And and, then employee safety on top of all of it. So the first thing was, um, you remember this is, you know, April, May, 2020, 2020, which was none of us knew anything. I spent a lot of time myself with the CDC and and NIOSH, which is their sort of, um, uh, the part that interacts with businesses and, so nobody knew anything. And, and the industry really was sort of, it was amazing how not only quickly did it respond, but best practices were shared throughout the industry real quickly. Um, but that was back when, you know, a newspaper would say, Walmart in this city has a COVID outbreak and this plant in this city. had So it was like they would announce um, different outbreaks. And it was, so, but what, ha- what I saw happen, so the first thing was, this by happening in the spring, the food industry. So, so just as a rule of thumb, about twenty-five or thirty percent of beef, pork, and poultry has to be exported because we produce more than we can consume. Sure. Um, but what ha- the first thing that happened was um, chaos started April and May. Plants were being shut down and all that. But we had everybody had um, inventory built up based on the demand that we planned on coming in the summer. So if you can think all of these off season, season builds for hot dogs and sausage, every, every grilling item that you can see, even Easter hams. Um, so everybody operated on borrowed time a little bit right. because we, we, we flushed on hand inventory that was for future forecasted demand. And that get us through the first few months. Um, you got, then, you got you through the first part that you thought was going to be it. When, I yeah, mean, all of us thought where, it was going to be short. It's where we were filling orders. We could fill orders, but it wasn't because we were producing enough to fill the orders. It was because production was dramatically impacted, but on-hand inventory for future demand was we had it in our, in, in our inventory. Every, the industry did. Even freezer socks were there. Right. And we were, we, people, the, the industry had an uh, amount of items in the freezer beef, pork, and poultry in the freezer. So we lived on borrowed time a little bit. And then the, the spotty um, shutting down of plants and the really sort of inconsistent regulations, every single entity. I mean, I, I went from April, May, June, July. I think I went five months where I'd be home maybe on the weekends, all weekends on conference calls, interacting with multiple different health departments that all told you different things. They didn't care most of them didn't care what the CDC said and they didn't care what so-and-so said. They just, and so, you know, those health departments weren't even really set up to handle, you know, most of those health departments are talking about people getting flu vaccinations and they go to schools and they're not 
set up to interact with every business in their community. And like LA County was a big one that, you know, they were just overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed. Um, yeah. So then, so we lived on borrowed time a little bit, but then it just started, which still hasn't fully recovered. It started these sort of series of events of demand, food service demand fell off completely off the chart. Um, and then retail was higher than anybody could ever produce because there's a line is set up to produce a certain type of item, whether it's bulk packed for food service or retail friendly, and you can't really flip a switch. And so, yeah, that's what I was going to ask because you'd think if you had all this inventory stocked up that you could shift it from, you know, the commercial sales to the, right. you know, the, the more table friendly stuff. And it doesn't sound like that's the case. It, it, it would just from the ingredient deck rec- regulations. So, so nothing is ready to go. A, a, a retailer doesn't have the PLU in their system to scan the item. Uh, you know, I can, we tried to sell 15 pound boxes of bacon, which is the bulk box that a re- restaurant would use and almost nobody could use it. And so it, it started like a series of events of the shutdowns went through it. And, and I think after, um, after I think there was enough of awareness of what was going on in food, the politicians did nothing much to help, but there was an awareness that their the food shortages were really close if they kept attacking um, the food industry. And so after that first wave, I don't think mass shortages um, were, were as much of a problem as from that point in time, which was maybe fall of 2020 till now, you still can sell those, those, industry, those food industry can still sell every pound they can make. We still haven't caught up. They're still yeah. running. That's, um, that's the old accordion effect, right? I mean, right. you've got everything built up and then boom, right. nothing. You There's a big gap in that pipeline. And you, you can't, it's like starting a race flat footed and, and, and with um, sort of the, all the things that are going on in labor um, are making it even more difficult. People just don't want to work in the, the big meat plants. And so everything everybody's talking about throughout all industries um, is still an issue in, in food plants. And so mm-hmm. um, it, it's getting better. It's not getting worse. Um, you know, certainly labor rates have are, are dramatically increased. Um, geez, I, I mean, I think they're from an average of 11 to $13 before till maybe something closer to 16 to even $20. Well, it's, it's funny too, because I mean that, you know, I, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but when you start parsing out the category of, of items in the whole inflationary perspective, as far as consumer inflation and producers conflation, you can see right away that all these, all these disruptive changes, they filter down to you and me buying this stuff. I mean, that's, that's just the way it always goes. And anybody that's surprised that that shouldn't be. But at the same time, you know, pointing fingers at the supply chain doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah, solving yeah. it. But solving I, again, I think, uh, like we were talking about this a little bit at the beginning, I think the biggest issue with the supply chain is it's never one issue and it's always interconnected activity. So, for example, corn is still $6, over 6 bucks. That, that was $3.50 all the way you know, COVID doesn't have anything to do with that. And so um, your in, the input costs 
labor obviously added to it, but you know, the majority of raising an animal's input cost is feed, and that mm-hmm. feeds in that that maybe goes into this bin century thing that I'm working right. on. Right. Um, the feed, you know, everybody. So now you get down to the end and say inflation is a, is a problem, um, and, and if you you know any of the news, any media is going to probably tell you one reason why or two. They'll blame the parties first, and then they'll blame other people. But the truth <laughs> is, it's just a series of it's, it really is a series of events today. Labor shortages, elevated labor, is definitely part of it. But just pure input costs, elevated input costs, are what's going to keep it elevated for a period of time. Um, and so that again, I think that's what we always run into. Why supply chain is difficult is. You know, we don't have the, typically the average supply chain employee doesn't have the Jedi mind skills of a salesperson that can, you know, sit at the big boardroom table and with flashy presentations and imagine sitting, imagine sitting there saying, okay, let me explain what's going on in our company. It's going to take me 30 minutes. Right. And your audience is probably two finance people, which is the CFO and the CEO, and then a group of other people that don't really have a grasp or care to have a grasp. And so... Um, it's very complicated, interconnected, but the but our industry is is immensely admirable. The, U, the mm-hmm. United States food and ag is um, really sort of um, second to none, I think, when it comes to um, adoption of new ideas and technology, uh, but also improvement. I don't, I didn't print it, but I I looked at. Um, bushels of corn per acre. And and if you look, I think it was like 1880 maybe to um, 1930s, they was the first 1880s when they first started measuring this, like the USDA took a shot at. And it was somewhere around 26 bushels per acre. Per acre. Of corn. Yeah. And, it, and this for 70 years went flat to the 30s or so. And it, it went just like this. And, and it, right. it, I think it's, 177 or something bushels per acre today. So that's the, a tremendous difference. Oh, it's, it's um, and, and but then just think about what you know about uh, transportation efficiencies, and and so you, you you take that all the way through from the field to I know the animal ag space and the livability of animals and the health of animals and. Um, all the numbers are staggering if you compare, you know, maybe the 1950s to now. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so bottom line for the industry itself, there's a ton of different places you can point at that, that show that adoption of all kinds of, whether it's technologies or efficiencies or, or different elements and how the farming is done or how the yeah. raising of the, the, the cattle, et cetera, is, is handled that it's become a better and better infrastructure for what we need in the United States and us compared to the rest of the world, I'm sure is, and you travel all over. So you've seen what these other uh, places are like. So it's, it is to be admired for sure. The problem, but the problem is always the same. You know, once you have one problem, all the focus goes right on that. Right. right? right. And and, And it oversimplifies it and then attacks it. And, but, but I, I do think it's, um, you know, sort of despite um, maybe some of the attention and the fact that I think we'll probably lose some of the attention, the industry just continues on. 
And yeah. I think that I, I think that it's admirable how much how quickly best practices are shared in food and, and animal ag. Um, and I also think that um, you know we just sort of take for granted things that still happen in other countries like recalls. You know, when's the last massive? It just doesn't happen. It just really, I mean, knock on wood, you, you'll see it. And, and a lot of times, like foreign material, like a part of a conveyor belt or something got it to, but, but for the most part, the amount of food the U.S. can produce safe and healthy food is pretty, it's pretty amazing. Um, so, so from that perspective, just to, because I've, you know, living out in California, as long as I did it, you know, I'm, I'm inundated with regulations before anybody else is inundated with regulations usually. Right. And, and, but, but part of what you're talking about right there is, is kind of given a a high five to the regulators in a way. Now I I, I, I would imagine they over-regulate. Here's the other thing I would say, and this is like maybe a circle logic a little bit, but if you say, well, corporations are greedy and the only thing they care about is the bottom line. The number one thing a corporation could do to hurt their bottom line is to have anything wrong with their product, right? If there's a problem with a branded hot dog, guess what's going to happen? So it's, I do appreciate the food. I do think that the, the collaboration with regulators is different. It's better. It's different. Mm-hmm. I think the USDA and food conversations, if I could compare uh, maybe the CDC and NIOSH with us versus our conversations with the USDA, ongoing conversations, very collaborative, very best practice, very much um, uh, a partnership. But I also would tell you, you could take every USDA inspector out of every plant today, and nothing would nothing would change. I don't think it's so. So the the industry itself has seen a lot of this stuff that's needed to happen. It compares itself to other places in the world where you know you go over to some places in in you know Southeast Asia and. They have to, it seems like every five years I hear about this great chicken kill off or things like all this kind of stuff that occurs. And so there's an industry that's gotten to a point where it has a lot of self-regulation, which is, again, an admirable thing to to have happen. Even if you don't, even if you say it's not admirable, it's only driven by profit. That's okay. What I'm saying is it it does exist. It exists and... um, because I, I, I guess I can't tell you that I've ever really come across. I know no major food company that would, they, they would all tell you do the right thing first. It's the most important. Then, yeah. then, then all, everything else falls in, in play. And, and like I said, even if you're a cynical college kid or whatever way you come with the world, you arrive at the same place. Which come on is, now, uh, all college kids are cynical. Come on. <laughs> I wish there was a little bit more cynical. I mean, I guess there were, there were a little bit more. They seem to fall into a rut and all agree on, on uh, yeah. ideas. But uh, That's an entirely different podcast. That's an entirely different <laughs> yeah. Yeah, It's amazing how much they, they, they think alike in an institution that's supposed to inspire um conflict which which i will yeah. tell you though that that is a subject that we do i talked a lot about to um kids and college kids and interns and, and young careers how, how when's the last time you were wrong how did you learn you were wrong and also explain a, a team environment where you because i this is what i really liked about corporate world that i kind of missed 
and all the mm-hmm. stuff I'm doing today is th- there might be something you have a different opinion. I have a different opinion. We have to find a path forward. But I know I understand your opinion 100 percent. I don't I'm not oversimplifying it and straw manning it so I can attack it. I, right. I can under, I've taken the time to really listen to your idea and your why you want to go a certain direction. And I disagree, but there's this converse and, and vice versa, right? You've taken the time and understand. And so a lot of that skill is what I see missing, maybe missing in socially. And that's what you're saying. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But, I, but as far as in supply chain and in our industry, the, the biggest skill gap that I see for people being prepared to be successful in a corporate environment and actually probably professionally, personally outside of that is critical thinking, um, communication, maybe empathy, um, all, all table stakes for being on a team that I see gross under development. I, I think you said it a second ago. When's the last time you were wrong? You yeah. say that to, and the answer should be all the time. And it's all okay to be wrong. You know, yeah. that's that's kind of how you grow and learn. And there's, you know, you, there's something that I see in being in, in, of course, being in this industry as long as I have. I remember when I was young in the industry and turning to a couple of the guys I was with and said look across the table from whoever I was having lunch with and said, if I ever get this old in this industry, just shoot yeah. me or something. Yeah. And here I am. Right. Yeah. But, but the, but the interesting part of that is, is there's this application knowledge gap between people coming in new to the, any in industry right. and people that have been there a long time. Right. And, and there's a disconnect, especially in the supply chain industry, I think for the reason we talked about earlier, because there really wasn't an educational pathway. Right. For that for a very long time, and now there is. So people are coming out of that pathway now, and they're feeling like they can jump over the right. application side, the wisdom side that you gain from having gone through the, doing the blocking and tackling in the right. industry. Right. So I think you're right on with that. I, but but I also and I don't want to take forever. I want to I want to try to kind of wrap this up for you. And I I wanted to kind of see what you thought about one element of the industry that's getting a lot more attention now. And that I think is going to continue to grow in part sped up over the last couple of years because of the pandemic. But this, this kind of um, the final mile element that, you know, us sitting at home and clicking, send it to me now for anything, anything right. out there almost is getting larger and larger in the industry. And now I, I, think there's a long ways to get that more efficient. Certainly there's the UPSs and the Amazons and the FedExes of the world and people like this, but there's a lot of space in that industry to, I think, create a better final mile for a growing consumer base that just wants to sit at home and buy all their stuff instead right. of going out. Right. Yeah. It's um, especially in food. It's been interesting to watch the learnings and, you know, the, the evolution of the idea even mm-hmm. as much as Amazon bought Whole Foods, mm-hmm. um, which to me would have could have helped as I guess there's a recognition that you can't get to where you want to without a couple things. One is critical mass on the drop, right? And I think Amazon created this, right? They would give away paper towels and all that kind of stuff, just knowing um, 
they got to build out the zip codes and get the density so that the deliveries can be efficient and will be efficient in 10 years from now. But let me worry about building reasons for you to buy today. All of that rush to the to a realization that people, that the number one way to drive foot traffic uh, at a store is food. It's why Walmart super centers were so successful is that food drives foot traffic. They get you in to buy your groceries and then of course your kids are going to drag you over to the toy aisle and they're going to make right. 80% on everything they get you to buy over in the other side. And, but it drives foot traffic for the, the idea was food drives foot traffic in final miles caused some problems in that. Okay. So, so then Amazon stepped back and said, okay, I can't people just Amazon, it's Amazon fresh. Their, their online banner is just not really following the typical growth curve of, a, of an Amazon um, and actually all of their worlds struggling a little bit but um, and I think a lot of that you know I think they just grew a little bit too much to to for the demand that didn't stay maybe but um, right they were doing the build it and they will come kind of yeah thing, right? which yeah I, I don't think it's a it's a 10-year problem I think in a public company this is a this is back to the these are quarterly issues that I'm dealing with but Amazon's infrastructure is not, it's not a problem. It'll, they're going to get back to their normalized growth. But um, I think for whatever reason, analysts thought everybody was going to be able to maintain the growth that happened because of some of the, in, in the COVID uh, impact. But, but so then I, so I do think that there's, um, you know, a retrenching when it comes to food. And, and this was where I do think like a program at Walmart have a little bit of an advantage because of their infrastructure. And, and I think Walmart just changed their final mile delivery partner. And I actually saw in Chicago here a Kroger, a branded Kroger um, delivery um, sort of really? a Yeah. So they're all trying to figure that part out. And I think, I think for me, the question is, well, how, how can you be profitable and do any of this stuff? Uh, and it is, it's interesting. If you think of a grocery store and the evolution, remember like a little house in the prairie, you'd go in and tell them and, they would pull it from the shelf for you. And so we've evolved, the grocery industry has definitely evolved to the problem of how do I take it from, you know, sort of a warehouse or the, the mixing center to the consumer. And, and, and I think, so the evolution now is they've, they've started to separate perishables and non-perishables a little bit. And I think perishables, I think um, will always be difficult. I think it will always, one, because, Back to that pull I was talking about in the push and pull, right, it's right. very um, impulsive, and so in-store merchandising matters, right? If I, I I could have ten hot dogs on the shelf, I could take any one of those ten, put it in a bunker with a big ad display out, and that'll be the number one selling hot dog that weekend. It doesn't matter what brand it is, and so people aren't back to maybe my comment about humans is we're not always long-term and prepared, and so what's for dinner tonight? hits us pretty quickly. Or even if I'm grocery shopping once a week, I still go in there and go, Oh my God, what am I going to make for the next five days or something like that? So yeah. I think ultimately the, the long term, I, I don't know the answer for perishable distribution. I do know um, cities are always different than rural, mm -hmm. but I haven't seen a model that I think other than the, the one I do like, if you want to stay home and click is that I have my grocery store and I'd be glad where we were talking at the beginning about bagging groceries, right, it's almost right. like the new bagger is a delivery person that um, 
Um, it is interesting. Well, I will tell you what's interesting in the if you think, which, which I think about this a lot when um, you know we're going to colonize Mars and every talk every time we talk about um, life on other planets, we always think of it as a, a single entity. And yet, in the U.S., they probably would say we're going to, or the U.S. and the world, or the Earth, it's call us Earthlings. Yet we've arbitrarily divided all of this stuff up and, and became so much less efficient because of it. When I think of that final mile, you can't help in Chicago. I can go, go and I can look and see five delivery trucks hitting one building, all which is why I, I think there's so much room for change and efficiencies to come. I mean, I, yeah. I talk about this all the time when I'm discussing elements of the supply chain industry with people and the lack of harmonics. Right. It, it, you know, there's, there's bigger view things, international things where there are some, you know, well, I said FEU earlier, 40 foot equivalent unit. Yeah. That's the same anywhere you go in the world, but that's one of the few things you can talk about that is yeah. harmonized. But the, the the space we're talking about here, Final Mile or, or any other space, has room for crossover technologies, things that communicate better with each other so that when you look at that, that DC in Chicago, it's not having five different trucks from five different places. It's right. having two, you right. know, that right. that are filled up more effectively. And, and all those things is one of the reasons I think, again, supply chain is such a nice visual thing and there's so much potential involved, whether here as earthlings or someday right. as Martians, who knows, right? right? right. But I, I, you know, I, just to kind of finish up, I think you hit on probably the most important element of the whole thing, human nature. Right. You know, we have this expectation of, of if we want something, we want it now, right? right? And, and, you know, sometimes you have to go into a store to see what that something is. Exactly. Right. And sometimes you don't. And, and for the people that conquer the ability to get that stuff to us one way, shape or another, either make it a better place to go, uh, more effective, have those end caps with the hot dogs right. on them that, that you want right. to sell or whether it's coming to your door. I mean, those things fulfill that human nature element of it. You're spot on. So, I think yeah. I think Amazon nailed it first with the. I mean, it's, it's two clicks away and, and it's coming to your door. Uh, and then the brick and mortar still survives because, unfortunately, um, I can't wait two days or one day or even this afternoon sometimes. I have to go pick something up right now. And I think the inefficiencies of humans' plant ability to long-term plan will keep both moving. But, yeah, I do think yeah. consolidation and final mile will be interesting. It'll, it'll yeah. Yeah, It's sort yeah. of inevitable yeah. maybe, but interesting. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it's it's interesting. I, I was reading up on a couple of the things you're you're involved with now, the Bin Century thing, and and uh, you know your history is is about diverse as it comes, right? <laughs> and it has you know every component that we talked about, all from the, the baseline blocking and tackling the industry all the way up to the the C suite and in running very very large company, right? So I I can't thank you enough for coming aboard for for a few minutes and sure. you know chat with a with the with your older relative the and, <laughs> and communicate some of the things that I mean you're an expert in this industry and people need to hear this stuff and that's kind of what we're trying to do with with this podcast and high level logistics and just have a great place for people to come and get bits of information to hear from both I mean I, I talk to people that are you know analysts for I talked to a guy the other day that was an analyst for a, a pharmaceutical company and, you know, uh, the other day with a SEO specialist and things like, so it's, 
it, it hits all subjects these days. And I can't right. thank you enough for taking some time to, yeah. to help yeah. us understand your point of view. Right. It's great to chat with you. Hey, a big thank you once again to Dennis Organ for coming on the podcast and sharing with us some of his expertise as long as as well as perspective on the industry as a whole the segmented industry of the food stuffs and in the uh, agricultural community and how again as i said at the very opening of this how things can be applied all the way from farm to fork and to better strengthen our supply chain once again join us on any of the platforms out there and available you can see us on youtube on the, the, the website, of course, ilovelogistics.com, and all the audio platforms out there. Give us a, a five-star rating. Communicate uh, with us. Give us some feedback. We want to make sure we're giving you content that is good for you, your career, and your understanding of the overall environment that is supply chain. This is Chris, your host, signing off on this edition of Jaws Bites. Mm-hmm.